Welcome to Weed Week. I'm Alex Halpern. And I'm Donnell Alexander. This is the Weed Week podcast. You can subscribe to our free newsletters, Weed Week, Weed Week California, and Weed Week Canada at weedweek.net. You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Weed Week News. Got any feedback? Write to us at hello at weedweek.net. You can join our Patreon. You will get an additional episode of the Weed Week podcast each month, plus many more cool gifts. Check it out. Patreon.com backslash Weed Week. So today we have an interview with Danny Gonzalez, who is a very accomplished dispensary designer. It's a really interesting conversation. You know, we've all heard so much about the Apple store of weed. Well, he really takes us to what's coming after the Apple store of weed. So that's pretty cool. Yeah, I think there's a a future to how dispensaries are going to look as opposed to the past. And we get a good sense of the spectrum as we talk to him. But I want to talk to you about something you wrote. Okay. So... This was an article I wrote for, for The Guardian about whether cannabis is, is addictive. I read and, it twice. I just want you to know that. I read it twice. Okay. And I talked to a guy who is a, an addiction psychologist in, in Illinois, and he firmly believes that cannabis is addictive, and, which is sort of a controversial topic within the weed world. I thought about him a lot, you know, because it took me back to this guy. I I interned at the Times, the LA Times. The LA Times. I did an internship and I I sublet a house from a guy named, I'm not going to give you his name, but he was in Marijuana Smokers Anonymous. I remember thinking, that's that's weird that there is such a thing. When was it? This was (laughs) was in 1989. Okay. Yeah. And uh, the guy had a problem and he changed his life but i the question remains for me was it a psychological problem or is it a a physical addiction i think that maybe there's not that's not like a cut and dry distinction no i don't think so you know i i want to say just straight away i think the way we talk about addiction with cannabis is really elementary and maybe a little bit crude you know because we we look at these things as binary either you're an addict or you're not and um God, I listened to an old boss of mine talk about his work life on a podcast today, and he was saying that things can make you perform poorly. Lack of sleep can make you perform poorly, bad diet, divorce, and pot can get on top of you sometimes. But having said that, I don't know that there's a physiological addiction that we need to, or a physical addiction that we can actually pin this on. And I don't think, I don't think this this particular healthcare specialist can either. We don't really know. I think, I mean, maybe this is getting a little too spacey for me, but there's the changes that come from you from cannabis tend to be more spiritual and not something that you can just say, I'm an addict, I'm an addict or I'm not. You know, the way you use it makes a difference. Obviously, you're dosing. And I am just a little skeptical when I hear someone come in and lay their outsider's perspective on how it behaves in your body. I mean, he's not a total outsider in that he is a psychologist at an addiction clinic and they treat cannabis as the second most common drug they treat after, after alcohol. And so cigarettes have just fallen that far, huh? Well, nobody, you know, nobody goes into rehab for cigarettes, mm. but you know, it's, we're sort of comparing it right now because of the opioid epidemic. And I think also because of the movies, I always think of train spotting and stuff like that. Like we think of addiction as something which involves, you know, having to lock yourself in a room with, with a bucket for bodily fluids or mm-hmm. with a couple buckets maybe for, for a week to sort of kick. And that's not really the deal with, with cannabis. But, you know, I think most people who have smoked a fair amount can say that, you know, if they take some time off, they can, they might get irritable or they might 
be unpleasant to be around. Or, I, mean, I mean, I mean, that's the thing, though. I do think it varies from person to person. And for me, I, I've, I'm open about it. In my 20s, I smoked way too much pot. And, of course, I was rewarded with career advancement on top of career advancement. Okay, well, but, like Michael Phelps, you know. Yeah, right. I was the Michael Phelps of literature. <laughs> no, seriously, that period I was trying to get a handle on my dosing. And I would honestly say that in Portland, I did get a handle on my dosing. Right now, I'd say I smoke more pot than I ever have in my life. And I've never, I, I'm not struggling with a lot of things, aside from the fact that I leave my yoga mat everywhere. <laughs> you know, I, it's, It doesn't feel like a problem. I have acknowledged periods in my life where pot was a problem, but I wouldn't call it addiction. Okay. It's a fair point. Well, I don't know. I think, you know, obviously these conversations we are having right now are going to seem really tame and basic five years from now once people have had an opportunity to study it. But when I see an article like that, I just, I mean, obviously it makes me question myself, but it makes me question the science and how people can actually um, come forth with analysis when there's so little to go on. It's certainly true that there's a portion of the population who, I don't know if addiction is the right word, but cannabis is not good for them mm. and it's really pretty ruinous for yeah. them yeah well the, the photographer i was mentioning his life turned around when he left pot behind okay um, well, good for him yeah there are there are people who shouldn't have marijuana in their lives i'm fine with that okay so let's talk about dispensaries let's talk about getting you back yeah. into the marijuana <laughs> world what i thought really interesting about danny is that we have guests on we have a lot of journalists we have a lot of people in the business we don't have people who are looking at pot from um, a design perspective, you know? Yeah. I mean, we should have bong makers on. But honestly, having a dispensary guy at this person, at this point in time, is super interesting because I feel like we're at a place where you can walk into a dispensary now and in some ways, it's like 2002. And then you go into the apple of cannabis or some other variation. And I, I've seen some breathtaking, breathtaking dispensaries. And I'm, What's your favorite? Oh, my God. Um, I mean, it'd probably be one in Oregon. Yeah, I'm bad with names. I smoked a lot of pot, <laughs> but I've seen I've been in some amazing spaces, and we haven't even gotten to the consumption space, which is another part of what Danny told us that really was eye opening. All right, here's Danny Gonzalez. I've been working in the retail interior design industry for over twenty years. My career spans as far back as doing special events, uh, store design, visual merchandising for people like Cartier, Ferragamo, Fendi. I was creative director for Giorgio Armani, uh, handling all the stores in the U.S. And um, that led me to creating my own firm. And we focus on commercial. What's the name of the firm? It's just Danny Gonzalez Worldwide. Right. You're based here? Uh, based in LA, but I'm on the road constantly because a lot of the clients, what they hire me for is for scaling up, having more than one location. So if we develop a concept, it'll be repeated in different areas. So I prefer to work with commercial clients rather than residential because usually that's a bored housewife who has a lot of time and money. <laughs> and I have neither of those. <laughs> <laughs> but you work in dispensaries too. And how, how does someone, because that's such an esteemed background. How and why does someone make that move? You know, uh, at first, it's, it's funny they say, be careful what you wish for. And I always looked at it as the green rush, as we hear, you know, a lot of times. So I wanted to get into the field and a client who 
is also in the jewelry business. I was involved with a project with him several years back, and he told me I would like for you to get involved in these uh, dispensaries. And I did. That was one of the first things that we talked. We did minor changes in the space, but then I was approached by Dosist, and they asked me to uh, help them design their shopping shops. So Dosist are these very designed vape pens. Everybody says they sort of look like sort of like hipster tampons. And <laughs> well, I don't know, do they have store? I, it's hard to really describe in any other way, frankly. Do they have their own stores? They have one that just opened yesterday. Okay. It's on Abbott Kinney. It's, hmm. a, it's a beautifully designed space. They use their in-house uh, design team, which I know the guys very well. I worked with them. But the shopping shops would go into other stores. It's very similar to like when you go into a department store and there is John Varvatos, there's Levi's. and Oh, okay. So it's very much that type of setup, and that's hmm. what I helped develop for them. And we put it in Herba, which turns out I happen to have a relationship with that owner already. And so he and I got involved in other projects. And with Herba, I continued... I'm sorry, with uh, Doses, I continued doing shops that went through Southern California, some went out West Hollywood and areas like that. Okay. So I was on Weed Maps researching this and thinking, like, there's a wasted opportunity when you look at these places that are listed. They show the weed initially. Most of the places show the nuggets, and I guess we want to see that. But the dispensaries, they have their pictures in the back, and they're shitty as fuck. Oh, th- that's that's my biggest issue why I think that there's a, a fantastic niche for de- uh, developing brands and design for these companies because a lot of the places that I do meet, I've been in meetings, like I've gone up to uh, Hall of Flowers up in Santa Rosa and I sat there in a meeting when one guy, I was explaining to him and his crew that you are a big seller, it's a big brand, but you need, you need to improve your presentation. There's an opportunity for that. And so the dude was like... <laughs> Stoners don't care about that. And they all laughed. That was their response. And I said, except, you know, stoners aren't going to be the only customers or the remaining customers. You know, you will become a dinosaur in this industry because everyone else is elevating their game. And these stores aren't doing so. And this is an opportunity. You know, they have to understand that initially, before you even create a brand in retail, you need to understand Clearly, what is your mission? What are you all about? Understanding the brand is how you determine what color your walls are going to be and everything else around that. And I think that a lot of times people go to it and thinking, oh, I'm going to make blue walls, and there's no story behind it or lines it up and solidifies it, and that's what we need to do. Wait, did you say stories? Stories, yeah. Well, I think that when you're creating a brand, you need to have a story. What is my story as a brand? Who am I? And what do I want to convey? And then how that story relates to a customer and how that will help them with their own lifestyle. So the the sort of big story here is that for a couple of years now, a lot of the, the most ambitious companies out there, you know, want their stores to look anything but like what sort of the stereotypical head shop wants. They want it to be open and inviting and no, no smells and you know, attractive and and tech savvy. But beyond that, I mean, what do you think is working? What kinds of design elements are working for stores? Uh, Inviting. The store has to be inviting. It needs to welcome the customer in there. You know that you have several different type of customers, you know, that are being developed in this community right now. You have the stoner and then you have the high end that they're trying to create, like the Barneys of the weed industry. But I think that the big majority is somewhere in the middle. 
Sure. And I think that it's like having these uh, type of environments where that person feels safe. I still hear from people when you have issues like dispensaries opening up. And neighbors are complaining about all the riffraff that it's going to invite. But when you create environments that are comfortable for people and safe, that won't be the concern anymore because now you found a way to take this product and treat it like any other product and go mainstream with it in the way you present it. You know? And also another thing that I think people need to do is educate. We need to... Uh, inform people more about what are the different uses, not just the flower, which we hear all about, you know, the quality of the flower, but things like the medicinal uses behind it and have people in the store that are, those are what I would call real brand ambassadors. You know, that to me is what would lend to uh, customer experience. And I don't mean entertainment because there's a difference between experience and entertainment. You know, you could have a clown in there juggling and that's an Instagram moment. There's a lot of that in Las Vegas. There's a lot of that everywhere. Are you thinking about that? Are you thinking about Instagram and how all that stuff's going to play out? Oh, I have to. I have to. I have to. I had one a fashion store uh, where we're removing the windows, or rather removing window displays as the norm and creating Instagram moments for people to go in and take pictures. So that uh, now we're looking to create fashion situations such as clothing racks and alongside it, a Instagram moment, and then back to racks. So it's a varied installation for them to see and use. Yeah. Right. Well, it's tough because we can't really consume in there at this point. Yeah. Do you think that's going to change when we get to the consumption? Are you even talking to people about lounges and cafes? At oh, this absolutely. Point? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I'm talking to a client about a project in Boston right now. We just signed a lease where it's three uh, floors, and I'm hoping to create a lounge for them. You know, a lot They'll of times. have to make it legal first. <laughs> well, that's the whole thing. A lot of times, you know, I'm an idea guy. I come in and say, can we do this and can we do that? The same thing where I'm doing here, proposing a, a tonic bar with a client here, but we have to see about the legality about it because it's different in Boston than it is in Los Angeles. It's different in Santa Monica than it is in West Hollywood. So those are the issues we have to you know, encounter and, and deal with at the time. So how do you do that? I mean, you can only make broad plans. Is I, that make, I, I make, uh, that's where, and I hate using the word because it's pretty broad, is like mood boards. And we come up with concepts. And that's where a clear understanding of the brand is so important. So then we just uh, decide, this is how we'd like to go. And you have an ideal situation that you reach for. But then we deal with the issues that come around, such as we can't do that legally, or the space doesn't permit that, or whatever it is that you know could be the hindrance. This isn't really a pot question, but I'm curious. Mood boards, are they becoming a bigger thing in society? I mean, I feel like 10 years ago, I didn't know what a mood board was. Now, you know, maybe- Well, people define mood board differently. Anyone that works in the creative industry, like fashion or interior design, uh, branding of any sorts, creates a mood board. And that's putting imagery for points of reference and colors and swatches that reflect the overall theme or the mood of the project. But now I think people are doing it like uh, very similar to dream boards. So now dream board is something that is kind of like, uh, I say, wishful thinking. Between all the sort of upscale dispensaries, like, you know, they're all pretty much selling the same stuff what's the difference in their their identities or how, how do you distinct how do they distinguish themselves you have to create that because there will be a time just like any brick and mortar situation because of internet and deliveries 
people are able to open up warehouses and deliver the same shit. Yeah. And so now, what do I do in my space that prevents you from going to Amazon? Because it's going to come a day when I can buy Bud on Amazon. Mm-hmm. Okay, so every store has to find a way, and that's why I'm saying it's creating lifestyles and cultural experiences in the store that forces people to come back, be a part of it. You know, like the very first thing that people need to do is greet you and make you feel like you're at home. That's the very first thing before we paint any wall. That's if you have that already instilled into your staff, that sets a tone already before the furniture, before the lighting, before the walls. And all of the other things are elements that are part of what is, as I said before, the story. What is our brand about? Who are we? Because you could be like, you want to be the surfer fashion hippie brand. Okay, then we go in that route. Or you want to be the high-end Barney chic route. We go that way as well. What about these places that aren't Boston or L.A. and they're just getting into medical and all that? They have no real guidance unless they come visit these places. Are you seeing mistakes or are there mistakes? <laughs> yeah. As, as a matter of fact, I have um, one client that they have a very medicinal, very clinical approach. Right. And even when you walk into the spaces, the, the clients are wearing lab coats. And so I think that, and I understand where they're going with that because that's where they want the, cl- uh, the patient, because it's no, it's no longer really a client, it's a patient, is coming. And you want them to feel uh, assured and confident that this person behind the counter in the white lab coat knows what they're talking about. But I think that we have to find a marriage of the two customers. You know, because it comes in certain cities where they may now be for medicinal use only. Eventually, we'll come for rec. And so then they're going to be part of their customer base. Hmm. So how do we attract both of them? And this is where we have to develop that. Well, it's interesting because I the dispensary in Venice I used to use in 2008 or 2009 was one of these places that were super medicinal. And I think if I walked into it today, having been in some of these great places in, in West Hollywood or Oakland and Harborside, I think it would feel really inappropriate. I mean, it would just feel anachronistic in a way that just um, might be a turnoff. Oh, absolutely. And I think that, but that's, you know, just like any trend in, in retail, you know, you notice in the way as we get older, you know, younger customer base and they shop we're trying to entice them and also we have so much against us with internet and phones and so we are are already running you know in place and the same way any other retail industry or product has to develop so does this it has to transform it has to evolve there's some beautiful things that are going to be coming up in west hollywood i happen to see drawings of things coming up that are going to be really beautiful by different designers but uh, gorgeous things, and they're thinking, you know, in advance of what's happening and where to go with it. Is there a trend in design of dispensaries that's happening? Are there cliches? I think that yeah, there are some cliches, <laughs> and I don't, I don't, I don't want to mention brands, but I think that on. once people find a, like an aesthetic, it's the same thing that happened with like say fashion, and this is a conversation I've had with certain clients, for instance. You know, uh, a lot of uh, retail design trends or influences came out of Copenhagen about two, three years ago, and everything was white with a wood accent. Oh, yeah, yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, anyone that was in the industry was like, oh, shit, again, again, again. It it has now gotten to the point that someone who's not in the industry can notice this wash of whiteness everywhere. It's overdone. It's overdone. And so even now, when you have certain dispensaries, 
when they're like, oh, I want to be that, when they should be thinking, what's next? You know, try to predict the future or understand the trend and ride alongside it, but don't be driven by it. Create your own concept, you know, that would be a little different. How can I be standing out on the block with all retail, not just other dispensaries in the area? So I want to ask you about one guy. There's a company, Green Growth Brands, that was started, the CEO is Peter Horvath. Yeah, I don't who know. He used to be like the COO of Victoria's Secret. Right. And so he's talked to me about how even right now, and sort of some of the more cutting edge dispensaries, he'll be able to compete with them, not just because he'll, his stores will be more attractive, and I, I can't confirm that they are, but I'm sure he'll have attractive stores, but that you know he just has so much in so much knowledge in his head about like the psychology of retail that the dispensaries can't yet have just because they don't have the depth of experience in the field that he has that's true and and so i find that in working with people like that i just shared with you the guy in a meeting smoking a joint i've had several meetings with these clients in this space that supposed to start at 10 People don't show up till 11.30, and it's okay. There's no apology or anything. It's just that's the norm. So while we as professionals in retail bring in one thing to this table, this meeting, that's absolutely true. However, you really have to understand the culture because I'm learning so much from them. You know, I mean, when I talk about branding or getting high, <laughs> I share a story how I used to remember getting nickel bags from cheaper spots in the Bronx. And there were little holes in an abandoned building. We would throw the $5 bill inside and come out. And the little bag would have a name on it, it would say Cloud Nine or Buddha Gold. And so that's what you knew. That's the first attempt at branding. Those are the days. Those were the days. And so you realize that it started somewhere. But, you know, we went on to do retail and we're doing you know, come to Garçon, and, but they're doing something else. But they have also gotten to the point where they understand the culture vertically from how you grow it, how you share it, how you smoke it. And they know all of that shit better than I do. You alluded to some project you have happening in the near future. Is there something big that you're working on? Well, yeah, it's, 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 I have a couple of different projects going on right now. But in this space, this particular client has uh, several stores around the country. And so we're looking at revamping, and they are medicinal and clinical in their approach, and we're looking to make it a little more friendly uh, to not just patients, but people that are coming in for rec purposes. Yeah, yeah, exactly that. So it's also hard because they have an established base, and it's been successful. It's not that it is unsuccessful, but they understand how they can widen is by appealing to that market, and that's what we're trying to do. You feel like you're living the dream, doing working in this area. Does it feel like unfettered? Or what yes, does it feel like? Yes and no. You know, and 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 straight up and honest, there are times when I deal with issues that unprofessionalism, and not just in the fact of like late to meeting, because that fuck it, you can deal with that. But when it comes to having to chase money, because they have a different mentality. You know, about like, oh, uh, this invoice doesn't need to be paid. I issue an invoice. I, you know, I have terms. You know, um, it's it's different. And I think that like any client, you would like to push things further and people are hesitant because they're still safe because the product sells. You know, you could open up a shoebox and start selling shit. Well, there's been sold in abandoned buildings. <laughs> so it can happen. So they're often reluctant to take steps and invest in what could be 
something bigger. Hmm. So it's challenging, you know, but it's the nature of my work, and that's what I have to do is push people, push people, you know. Uh, but then there are other clients who are more familiar with in other spaces. I'm doing an office in New York where, you know, I'm proposing things on their 8,000-square-foot terrace that everyone else would be like, what? They allow me to do that shit, you know. So, so cannabis is a little bit behind. I mean, yeah, just yeah. because. But I think there there are people that are now taking risks. There are people that are now taking risks, and when I meet other designers that are working on projects, or I hear speaking to other business owners and what they're doing, it's moving forward. So I think in the next year or two is when you're going to see some impactful uh, retail in this industry. Have you been to Portland? I have, yes. Have you been to the dispensaries? I, I think I, they have beautiful dispensaries. They do. And so, and that's the whole thing. Like even that aesthetic, when, when yes, it's beautiful. And yes, it's, it's very pretty, so to speak. And I think that it can be even more forward, mm-hmm. you know, and LA should be the leader in that. Right. Do you think like the economy here has held people back from spending money on design? Yeah. and all, But I also think I know some clients or some stores that are clocking some good dollars per month in sales but they hold on to it. There's a lot of hoarding. <laughs> and so they don't want to like eh, spend any money. And it's a shame because there's an opportunity for your shit to be really good out there. Um, I think we have to start wrapping it up, right? Okay. What's your, your big picture scene? What's it going to look like five years from now here? That's an impossible question. Go ahead That's and an impossible question. But I think five years from now will be, there'll be select ideal stores that when you come to LA you have to go to the hot shop in Santa Monica the one in downtown and each one of them will definitely be solid in their story in their branding so that when you go here uh, you know this one is high-end chic sit down and have a cup of tea you know the other one is more let's go for a swim because they have a pool upstairs and come back into the lounge it's things like that will happen it's going to just, people are going to push the envelope. No white walls and wood paneling. Five no years white now. walls and wood. No. <laughs> Yay. Thank you. Thanks so much. And that's our show for today. As always, you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at Weed Week News or email us at hello at weedweek.net. Tell us what your favorite dispenser is. And pretty soon, people are going to start writing and then we're going to start quoting them. <laughs> <laughs> And yeah, that's all very true. You know, you can't forget to give us a love on iTunes. We call it love. We mean ratings. We mean reviews. We know you love us. You tell us, but you do not interact with our show. Five star ratings on iTunes really help folks find the show. So we really appreciate it. And let's not forget Patreon. Patreon.com backslash Weed Week. We've got lots of presents for you. We've got uh, content. Oh my God, we never talk about the fact that all of the stuff we do, whether it's your stuff in The Guardian, my independent stuff, the episodes of the podcast, we put them on Patreon. It's a w- swell place to visit just to get all of our stuff in one place. Yeah. I mean, because we're pretty great. Yeah, that's what it is. <laughs> so for lots more Weed News, you can sign up for our newsletters, Weed Week, Weed Week Canada, and Weed Week California, all at weedweek.net. I'm Alex Halperin. And I'm Donnell Alexander. Our producers, Hannah Smith and Alicia Byer, wrote our theme music. Additional music is from the late, great Andre Bush. See you here next week. Bye.